longing to see a nation restored. A prophet calls for God's will to be done, for heaven to come to earth. Well, for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that I started a series from the book of Amos. It's just four parts of the series. It's a relatively short book, the book of Amos, but it's very, very challenging, very deep. And it helps us understand the nature and the role of a prophet, somebody who speaks on behalf of God into a season, into a nation, about what it is that's on God's heart at this time. And so we need to just quickly capture what it was that we talked about last week, because without this context being refreshed, we won't understand the enormity of what it is that Amos was saying to this people. Israel, as we knew it, the 12 tribes had become split into two nations, Israel and Judah. Israel can, uh, being 10, 10 tribes and Judah reflecting two tribes, the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And this has occurred because essentially King Solomon had driven the people very, very hard and treated them poorly during a season of building temples, building palaces, building gardens. <coughs> and that meant that um, the people from the 10 tribes of Israel were all coming through to Judah to be part of this works project. Ultimately, a couple of generations later, when Rehoboam appeared, uh, he was challenged by Jeroboam, a leader from the north, from the Israel nations, to say, listen, we, um, we feel that we're just being driven too hard and we want you to back off your building plans because we don't feel that this is right for you to treat us this way. Well, unfortunately, Rehoboam said, no, nah, that's not the way it's going to be. Um, we're going to work you even harder. And on basis of that, the 10 tribes said, we're out of here. We're leaving you. We can, we can um, handle this no more. And so therefore, the nation was split 10 to 2. And this wedge, if you like, became uh, deeply ingrained when the new leader of Israel, the 10 tribes, Jeroboam, said, how do I make it so that we don't return to the way we were, and how do I protect myself? Well, he did this in a very, very evil way, but a very, very clever way. What he did was he set up places of worship in different parts of Israel for them to go and worship the gods of Canaan. And the Canaan gods were cows, golden calves. And he set up this worship cult and set up priests and ways in which they were going to, to worship the old gods of Canaan and called the people of Israel to worship these new gods. Well, the thing that blows my mind is how easily the people were led into this. But let's just have a quick look and see what it was that uh, is recorded for us. Um, for God said that um, um, we're, going to, we're going to worship in this way. And so now Amos arrives on the scene some hundred years later from this season, this hundred years later, and God has had enough. And he's calling his prophets out to be able to speak to the nations about what it is that's on God's heart. What it was, was uh, God decided that he was going to uh, send a prophet Amos and he was going to remind them of what it was that was important to God. But he became a cynic and he became somebody who was uh, absolutely oozing with sarcasm when it comes to the things that God was trying to get to impress upon them. 
This sarcasm is often the way in which the prophets will speak to the nation of Israel. And, uh, and this sarcasm is something that we've got uh, in front of us as we look at what it is that Amos is saying. So here we have Amos saying um, to the people, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Bring a thank offering of leavened bread and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, here is Amos saying to the people, come to Bethel and sin. To Gilgal, multiply your sins. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Now, when we read this, we go, oh, what's so bad about Amos telling people to come and to worship? Well, the problem is, is that Bethel and Gilgal were the places where they worshiped the golden calves. And so here he was saying to them, hey, listen, um, if you're going to go down this track of worshiping other gods, why don't you just go for it? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do it hard? And he's saying, listen, um, go to those places and serve your gods. Bring your tithes every three days. And we can start to see some of the code words in here where it is. it says that um, God wants us to bring a thank offering of, of leavened bread. Leavened bread is bread that represents sin. Leavened bread is a bread that had yeast in it. Yeast represents sin. Unleavened bread was the bread of worship. Unleavened bread meant that it was free of, uh, of, of yeast and free of sin, representing that. But you notice in that uh, second to last line there, it says, um, can you proclaim free will offerings and publish them? Your free will offerings in the uh, proper worship was something that you did on the side, something you did on the quiet. However, he's saying here, don't just bring your free will offerings. Tell everybody what it is that you bring. Be proud of your worship. Show off. Then you can build up your own credibility by virtue of this, um, by virtue of this way of, of moving forward. So, Amos said, to the people, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. And yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Amos, Amos is absolutely steamed. He's absolutely wound up. We can only imagine what it would have been like for the the towns and villages that had Amos coming in to declare this, uh, this prophecy. 
What would it have been like when they've seen Amos coming down the hills with that fire in his eyes? He would have seen the people in the villages scatter because they were going, we are in for it now. The problem that the prophet has is trying to convince people that things aren't as good as God wants them to be. You see, as I mentioned last week, we get ourselves into a rut, a rut that is comfortable, a rut that is familiar, a rut that tells us that we're doing okay, not only because we're feeling good about ourselves, but because our friends around us are feeling good about themselves and we're all affirming one another. Remember when I said to you that um, uh, Socrates, the great old philosopher, said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And so what Amos is doing is he's calling people to say, listen, you need to examine your life. And the, the word of God comes in a way that he defines reality in a completely different way. So the nations were going through a time of drought. They were going through a time of, of uh, uh, economic hardship. And Amos is saying, can you see the God who provides? He's no longer providing in the way that he used to. Can you see how it is that there were seasons in your life when there was high, high prosperity? But in that prosperity, you didn't look after the poor. You didn't look after those who were struggling. What you did is you took advantage of those seasons of prosperity and you took all of that money and you took all of that wealth and you built something big and powerful for yourselves and you kept quiet about the evil that surrounded you. Let's have a look at what uh, Amos says here in chapter 5. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say He is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Perhaps he will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. He's talking here about the 12 tribes of Israel as a whole. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Here, Amos is talking to the highest people in the land. He's talking to those who have authority. He's talking to those who have place, power, and position. You see, every, every nation, every economy, Every sense of, um, of nationhood is defined by those who have the microphones. They will be people in authority, people in power. And that means that God is specifically speaking to them, saying, don't use what I have given you to serve yourselves. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. And one of the things that we know we're in at the moment is a time where we're very concerned because of this virus, we're very concerned about equity and justice. Equity and justice. People and the church in particular needs to have its radar on as it considers what it is that is happening to the least of the least, those who are on the margins, those who don't have power to serve themselves in a way of looking out for themselves. And so here is an example of this happening 2,800 years ago, where people were looking out for themselves, not looking out for other people. On Sunday night, just a week ago, I was talking to one of the doctors in our church, uh, Dr. Marshall Hollister-Jones. Um, Marshall is the uh, owner of a, a health practice called Chadwick Family Healthcare. And I was chatting to him about the virus, and he said that there was an appeal that went out to the general practices within the city to see if somebody would set up uh, a, a virus testing station. 
And uh, I said, oh, what was the response? And he said, my practice, me, I was the only one who said I'll help. I was quite blown away by that. And I said, so what does that mean for you, Marshall? He says, well, he says it means that uh, we have to get dressed up in our hazmat suits. We have to clean the premise every time somebody comes in for a test. Uh, it's, It's very inconvenient. And I basically asked the question, why is it that you're doing this then? And he said, well, put it this way. As a Christian, I want to respond to our community. But he said, as a doctor, he said, I have a huge amount of privilege. But with privilege comes responsibility. With privilege comes responsibility. And I was, have to say, I was, really, I was really moved by his response. Because here's someone who's saying, I re- recognize the fact that uh, my lot in life is probably a little bit more than most. But with that comes a responsibility. And this is essentially what God is saying to God's people. He is saying, listen, those of you who have been given much, much will be required. Be that from the wealth that you've accumulated or from the positions of authority that you hold. We all know that uh, when we read the newspapers at times about what goes on the courts, we find things that are real head scratchers at times, aren't they? When we see people who have family members uh, from privileged positions and somehow they seem to manage it so they don't quite end up in jail, don't quite end up with being uh, prosecuted. They might get put on uh, uh, some form of deferment in some fashion and, uh, and people get name suppression. And we're going, hmm, there seems to be this subtle edge where there are two codes. Codes for those who have no privilege, no advantage, and codes for those who have privilege and advantage. And that's the sort of thing that God is worried about. That if there's going to be law, it has to be a law for all people. So here is Amos now, um, as I said earlier on, oozing, oozing with sarcasm. This seems to be the way the prophets communicate. They, they, they get in people's faces just by uh, dripping their words over people to remind them of how far they have fallen from God. And so Amos says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. What God is saying here is that we can have a religious format. We can have a religious protocol. We can have religion until it's coming out of our ears. We can even bring offerings. We can have the best music. But unless your hearts are connected to me, God is saying, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your religion. I want people who are close to me, who are pursuing me and trying to be my light to the nations. You see, the summary, I suppose, of what uh, Amos is saying to this, uh, saying about this is along these lines. The Hebrew people should have viewed themselves as belonging exclusively to God. Instead, they viewed God as belonging exclusively to them. So what does this mean? When God belongs to you, you go to God and you say, God, can you help me fulfill my own dreams and my own expectations? Here is my plan. God, will you meet it? God, here it is 
that I want to do, and I'm trusting that you're going to be with me. Which all sounds okay, but when you compare that to the prayer which says, God, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Whom do you want me to serve? That is when you recognize that you are God's. God is not yours. God is not your ancient Santa Claus who's going to fulfill your dreams and meet your needs, but rather you are God's. You always have been. You always will be. But the mindset with which we, we, um, we can easily adopt is one where we go, hey, let's go and bring our offerings to God because God will look after us if we do. Let's go and worship God with our songs. And we walk away going, wasn't that a great time? I really enjoyed that. That was really fun. It was like, hold on, that worship was supposed to be for God, not for you. And yet we experience it in such a way that we think it's all about us as the consumer. I've always been challenging myself that, you know, in a church service, I could get up here with an old broomstick with bottle tops on it and bounce it up and down and say, let's worship. And we could all worship God in a loving and kind and, and, and deeply, deeply worshipful way. I probably won't do that, but I'm just saying that's what worship looks like. Worship is an act of the heart. And for God's people, he says, the heart then moves into action. And this is, the, this is the thing that Amos is trying to confront. It's all very well to think right, but we need to act right. We need to put our, action, our thoughts into action. And uh, I'm going to finish this morning with Amos chapter 5, verse 24, a verse that you've probably heard before. But I think this is a profound verse that reminds us of exactly what it is that Amos is targeting here. He says, but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never-failing stream. Do you like that? Any of you who followed the civil rights movement, I know most of you were, uh, were, were young in the time. The civil rights movement in America in the 1960s, led by others, others such as Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King used this verse as a, as a pillar statement with respect to the movement of righteousness that was needed, justice that was needed in the United States at the time to give African-Americans the vote. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Justice rolling on like a river. And it just gives this picture of, of life, gives this picture of energy, gives this picture of purity. Is something that God wants. Because if God's kingdom is to be established, it's to be established in such a fashion that everybody wins. Everybody wins. I don't know about you, but when I was at school, I read a, uh, a book uh, called Animal Farm by George Orwell. Some of you would have read it. And uh, the whole idea was to talk there about socialism. The whole purity of this, of this uh, ideology was, was fantastic. The only problem is human nature gets in the way. Everybody should be equal. And the pigs who ended up leading the farm said this. They said, everybody is equal, just some are more equal than others. And it's the line of the book. It's the line of the book. And this is the very stuff that Amos is addressing because God is speaking to him. 
This is why Amos comes into a village, comes into a town with fire in his eyes. And he's saying to the people, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Friends, that's the season we live in right now. If things get worse for us around the world, if things get worse for us in New Zealand, the first signs of our society cracking will be when righteousness and justice start to disappear. Righteousness because people will feel entitled and deserve more. Justice will disappear because those who have will demand more. Those who don't will go without. And so as the church, I call us to this. I call us to this through the book of Amos. I say, look, if we're to be the people of God, then put your radar detectors on for issues of justice. Put your radar detectors on for issues of injustice. Let's be the people of God and try to ensure that no one misses out. That in itself will please the heart of God. So for now, I'm going to finish here and I'm going to say, let us pray. Let us pray. Father, as we... um, Look at your word. We find it fresh for us. Fresh because your word is not bound by time. Fresh because the human condition uh, sadly perpetuates itself from one generation to the next. So therefore, Lord, we must be those people who examine ourselves and say, where do we fall? Where do we lie? Where are we in the midst of this. Where are we when it comes to measuring ourselves against God's word and God's standard? So Father, we ask that you would, you would raise us up to be mindful of our world around us, particularly in this season when others on the margins can so easily miss out. Let justice roll like a river. Let righteousness be like a never failing stream. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.